For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The very first crusade was a push to retake the, the, the Holy Land, to take Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Uh, the Pope had, had pulled together sort of this vision uh, and sending people down and retaking the, these Holy Lands for Christ. And the Pope speci- issued a special edict that anyone engaged in acts of violence or murder or, or any sins committed while in the process of being on a crusade, they were all absolved because it was a crusade for Christ and for his kingdom. Uh, roughly 60,000 peasants, men, and about uh, 6,000 knights left Europe on the first crusade. It was, uh, it was just a perilous, treacherous journey. It was not smooth or well-planned. Uh, eventually, after an eight-month siege, uh, these crusaders took the city of Antioch, really strategic city in 1097, uh, and then they went on to Jerusalem with only 12,000 peasants left from 60 to 12, and then uh, from uh, 6,000 knights down to 1,000 knights left. They, they finally um, got to Jerusalem, and in 1099, after a seven-month siege, there was a mass slaughter of both Muslims and Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, and these crusaders took Jerusalem and the Holy Lands and established uh, four crusader states in the area. Um, technically, technically, the First Crusade was successful uh, in that they set up these states, but it was only 90 years later that Saladin came in and, uh, and took them all back. Uh, after the First Crusade, the subsequent seven later Crusades all essentially failed. Um, but they were an attempt to build a kingdom in the name of Christ, but not done in a Christ-like way. I mean, the, the Pope's absolving of sins for those involved in the, in the war, so that doesn't come out of the Bible at all. That was just a papal edict. Um, and there, there was this kingdom that was being attempted to be set up, but not anything remotely um, in, in a Christ-like manner. So uh, we are going to dive into the text here in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to see this idea of, of kingdom. Uh, again, Matthew 27, starting in verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So the the Jewish leadership got together and they condemned Jesus based on some false witnesses and some their own sort of uh, prosecution against him. It was a, it was just a false trial, but they pronounced him guilty. Uh, and they handed him to Pilate because they wanted one end result. They wanted him killed. They wanted him crucified. They couldn't do that themselves. So they brought him to Pilate in order to get the end they wanted. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. The chief priests taking the pieces of silver said, It's not lawful to put them in the treasury since it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's, uh, the potter's field and buried uh, as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. When, uh, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price on him, uh, whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave for them uh, the potter's field as the Lord had directed me. Um, Judas, for some reason, is feeling remorse. Maybe, 
Maybe they even told Judas that they weren't going to condemn Jesus uh, when he had betrayed them. I don't know. Maybe they'd lied to him about it. Maybe Judas is just overcome when he sees Jesus standing trial and, and potentially going to the cross. Either way, guilt overcomes him. Um, but um, it's too late, and, and the guilt sort of takes him. He, he hangs himself and throws back the money. Uh, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. Um, see, the charges against Jesus have been brought in such a way that the, the, the Jewish leadership is trying to pin him against Caesar. Uh, he's claiming to be king instead of Caesar, and so they're trying to pitch it um, in that way. Uh, and, and Jesus' response is kind of cryptic. Uh, he's not willing to say sort of directly one way or the other. Um, verse 12, um, But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Um, here we see a picture of the resolution of Jesus. He knows what needs to happen. He knows his fate. Uh, and it, it kind of goes back to Isaiah 53, where we're told that the, as a sheep, um, the suffering servant, the one who was going to be Jesus, he would be led to the slaughter like, like a sheep before its shears is silent. And here Jesus is silent, not trying to fight for his life. He's resolved to know that, um, that he has to go to the cross. Uh, now, the feast the governor was accustomed to release uh, for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Um, the, the charges against Jesus have been pitched as Jesus is an insurrectionist and Jesus is a threat to Caesar claiming that he's king. And so I wonder if what Pilate is doing here is kind of a test on their allegiance. He grabs Barabbas, who, um, it says robber, but the, the word in the Greek actually means that he was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel, a zealot. Uh, he had been arrested and he was going to be crucified because he was a rebel against Rome. That's who was crucified. Uh, and so he stands before them, Jesus, who um, obviously isn't an insurrectionist, uh, and Barabbas, who obviously is. Um, and he says, you know, who do you want me to release to you? And, and I think it's going to be a test of their allegiance, um, a test of their heart, because if they choose Barabbas, then Pilate's going to know um, where their heart is towards Rome and, and, and where their actual allegiances lie. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. Um, I wonder as well, too, here, if the crowd was actually gathered um, because they wanted to see Barabbas released, and, and Jesus was sort of a sideshow. And, and you wonder kind of if that's what's going on, because, because ultimately the heart of this crowd and many in Jerusalem is to overthrow the Romans. They hate the Romans. They detest Roman rule. They detest what Rome was about. They're, they're pagans, um, and they've, they've come in, they've usurped the throne, um, and um, they want to see this, this resurrection, um, insurrection fomented. 
And, and what, what I see in this story is two figures. There's Jesus and there's Barabbas. Um, and each in some ways represents two different types of kingdoms. Um, Jesus preached peace. He preached loving one's enemy. He preached turning the other cheek. He preached a personal holiness, even and not even going after sort of the repressive regimes of Caesar, saying, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. The kingdom of Christ seeks to flourish without power. It seeks to love in spite of opposition and to trust God even in weakness. And then you've got Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the one who, in his kingdom, he wanted a violent overthrow. He wanted independence. He wanted to throw off Rome in a military coup. Um, They wanted power. They wanted to overthrow those who were different. They wanted to be the ones who were sitting on the thrones, setting the rules. He wanted to be celebrated and honored. It was a violent kingdom representing power. And so there's these two different kingdoms represented before this crowd. And Pilate asks the crowd, who do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd is really clear. They want Barabbas because they want power. They want to overthrow Rome. They want the insurrectionists. They don't want Jesus. They don't want the, the meek and mild kingdom that doesn't have power, that turns the other cheek. And for me, I look at these two figures and I kind of ask, which, which would I pursue? For which one would I cheer? Which kingdom do I live for? Uh, even in my own politics, you know, as I think about politics and about what it means to be a Christian in this society and the way that, that, that our culture and government is going, Um, which kingdom do we operate under? The kingdom of Jesus who preaches to love and to not grasp after power and not need to be able to set the rules, but to love even in the midst of hardship? Or do we want Barabbas who will kick out our oppressors and those who think differently? And so as we enter into the Passion Week, um, it's a challenge for us, a thought for us, of, of which kingdom are we living for? Let's pray. Father, we, um, we want to see you and the kingdom that you stand for, and God, may we stand with you to not need power, to not need to be in charge, to not be ruling, to not be oppressive, but that we would stand with you in grace and in mercy, loving those who are different than us, trusting you instead of trusting our own power and wisdom. God, help us to, um, to be part of that kingdom and to cheer um, for it instead of the other. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, um, hope you're having a good day. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care. <laughs>